Hello and welcome to the White Shorts podcast. I'm Bella Cartman and I'll be your host for the series. Now, this podcast came about from conversations I've had with players, coaches and fans of women's football and women's sport. There is so much being discussed on a daily basis about challenges faced by female players, the improvements we would like to see in the game and how there are these amazing women quietly working away to improve our clubs and associations for the women of tomorrow. With the recent explosion in women's sports, I sought out a platform where I could learn more about these incredible women and what they're doing for women's football New Zealand. What I found should have come as no surprise, but this platform did not exist. So, the White Shorts podcast was born. This podcast aims to bring to light the work being done by these incredible women, along with highlighting some of the adversities they have faced by being involved in the game. Each week, I'll be joined by a player, coach or manager from around New Zealand for a fireside chat. We'll talk about their motivations, their journeys and crucially, what they've learned along the way. So come join us and we hope these discussions inspire ones of your own. Morning all and welcome to episode 12 of the White Shorts podcast. We're back again for the week two World Cup special with Jess Fuller and we're going to wrap up the one of the most hectic weeks in football. It has been crazy, Bella. It's been football pretty much every night, and I've loved every minute of it. But, man, you just don't know what's going to happen, do you? Truly. It's like you look at the games. I always look at the games, like if they're playing at whatever, like 10 or 12 that night, and I go to bed, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, Germany's playing Morocco or Germany's playing like South Korea, whatever. Yeah, that's an easy one for them. And you wake up in the morning – and you're just like, what? Sorry, what? Am I am I reading this right? Shock and horror. Or you go to bed after the first half of the late game and you wake up and you're like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> Let me watch the second half and don't look at the stats because what happened there? Yeah. And no, it's been interesting, eh? Oh, it's been so mental. And yeah, so we're going to do a real quick wrap up of week two for the listeners before we jump into... The knockout round, first round, round of 16, which holy heck I'm excited for because now I just, I truly don't know what to expect. And straight off the bat, I have to acknowledge episode, oh, our week one wrap up. I bravely, bravely put out there a Germany, Japan final. And I'm standing by that Japan, that Japan call, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to hold my hand up and say whoopsie daisy on the Germany call because shit, (laughs) I messed that one up. Yeah, well, I messed up the Brazil one, so we'll call it even. <laughs> we did not read those well at all. Well, no, I mean, this is what we're going to talk about today is what's going on? Like, that's what Germany, Brazil, Canada, all knocked out in group stages. I mean, Canada were Olympic champions, Germany, number two in the world, Brazil, number eight in the world with Marta, like all knocked out by teams in below, what, like 40th in the world in their rankings? There's something yeah. in the world, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's football down under. Um, we've, turned the, we've turned the world of football upside down. Um, <laughs> nah, but yeah, I think seriously, like we talked uh, a couple of episodes about how the different styles of football may come into play. And I think I think more importantly, it's like, I think teams didn't know what to expect and they've had to adapt on the field. And at the end of the day, it's whoever puts the ball in the back of the net. And I think Japan are a really good example of how to play counter-attacking football. 
And like I went and watched South Africa versus Argentina, which was a cracking game of football. Um, and you kind of looked at South Africa and although Argentina came back, you looked at South Africa and you're like, they play some real quick forward thinking football. And it was like, hang on a minute, they've got some potential here and they've showed exactly that. And I think it's the same when you look at um, Jamaica and their striker, Shaw up top. Yeah. She just comes in, receives the ball, lays it back into their midfield. They've got two runners running wide and high and they utilize that. And I think it's, I think it's shocking teams who maybe haven't done enough research on those smaller nations, or I think maybe teams are going in and a bit unexpected of what to expect. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we talked about this and I think it was the week one or maybe it was even prior to the World Cup um, starting. We talked about, and you mentioned, like, these teams are coming in, they haven't played a lot of international football. People aren't going to be knowing what to expect or necessarily be able to sit there and watch hours of footage on them. Um, But also, and yeah, we're seeing that play out now, as you say, like, they're coming in and shocking, but... We also talked about how they're coming in with just there's so much of a resource disparity across the teams. Like you're looking at a team like the US who, and we're going to touch on this later, some abysmal results coming out of the US team, but for everything they've got going on and behind them. And then you're looking at the likes of, yeah, Jamaica, South Africa, who are putting up absolutely amazing results against these huge teams. And it like begs the question of how are these, like what, how are these teams performing so well with so little resource and so much more being carried on their shoulders coming into this tournament? And I don't know. It's a question that I definitely can't answer. And, you know, I think probably everyone's currently sitting there in women's football going, is there something we need to take from this? Because there, well, I mean, there definitely is. And it's just what is, what is, what is that magic potion? Yeah, I think you're right. And I heard a whisper. And so I'm not sure how true this is, but the um, word around the hood, if you like, um, is that the USA team bought 90 staff. 90 yeah, staff. Yeah, I've heard them. something along those lines as well. Yeah. yeah, and like you look to them and they roll their red carpet out before they, as they leave the hotel and put on their suits. And then you've got Jamaica, who have probably bought, I don't know, I'm, I'm just guessing if they fundraise their way here, the least amount of staff. And, um, well, shall we just say USA got saved by a post. So, um, it just goes to show that if you're, if you unite together, that it might not necessarily come down to resources to, um, at the end of the day, score more goals in the other team and get through and uh, knock out football. We are talking about these teams, like it's such a big upset, like the underdogs, blah, 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 blah. But like reflecting on it and looking at it kind of retrospectively now, it's like, are we doing them a disservice by, you know, being so shocked and, you know so surprised that they're putting on these good performances is this almost like an expectation that we've set for ourselves and that oh okay no like they it's like nice that they're coming it's a really good opportunity for them like it'll be a good chance to get some game time on the world stage but you know they're not going to go anywhere like maybe we've been wrong sitting here and saying that and in fact they've had the level and they've had the players and they've had the ability but they just haven't had those resources to come together and play on that world stage. And so now we're actually just seeing it. They've been here all along. They're just actually taking the opportunity that's now been given to them. And I wonder if that's a moment of reflection that we need to take as well, and especially in New Zealand, because while we, I think we like to think of ourselves as, you know, a first world country and like we're pretty up there in, in terms of sports and the opportunities that our young people have to pursue professional sports, but like, 
we don't get a lot of opportunities to play together at an international level. Like that's always been an issue for our firms and it's always been one of the things that have held us back. And so maybe it's an opportunity for us to look at these teams like Jamaica, South Africa, who have even less resources but are doing far better and saying, okay, how do we need to adapt our current model and our New Zealand football model to use less but do more? I think that's the last few thoughts have definitely got me thinking. And I think you're 100% right. And I think it's definitely food for thought and maybe definitely something that we can perhaps learn from. And I think going back to your first comment, when we say like maybe we got this wrong, like, yeah, I think we did. And I think most of the world have, but I like, I don't necessarily think that's our fault. Right. And I don't think that's anyone's fault. I think it's more down to visibility because if you look at all the teams who are classed in that, that top 10 bracket, They've all already got sponsors. So they've already got media teams. They're all shooting their fancy promotional videos before the World Cup. Um, we've seen the France one. You saw the um, Switzerland did a good one. And then you think you you can go onto the Nike score, buy the tops, et cetera, et cetera. However, if you wanted to go buy a South Africa kit or a Jamaica kit, you're probably going to find it very hard to find one. So no doubt they haven't had the visibility before the tournaments. Nobody knew really how they were going to go because there's no sponsors to sponsor that sort of stuff, get behind them. They're not backed by a big brand, shall we say, to sell those kits. You can't then make money off the kits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all like flow and effects, but hopefully that's what this tournament does is not only can like countries like New Zealand um, learn off these maybe smaller nations who are performing well, but can these smaller nations actually now start to gain the media traction, which will then result in sponsors and help mm -hmm. them out? So hopefully next time Jamaica come, they're coming in full kit, maybe not red carpet because I don't know about you, but I have some thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> but maybe a bit more um, resources to help them maybe perform even better. And we don't know how far they're going to go, but um, at least be a bit more relaxed and through. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I also think, with adversity brings people together and you know they've got that to fight through and when they step over that line they're fighting for each other and what they've already fought for just to get here so yeah yeah no exactly and yeah it's really interesting that you talk about kind of that future outlook for a team like Jamaica um because I was talking I, I mentioned to you before we jumped on the school but I was talking to my flatmate who Bless, bless her soul, has really tried to get into this FIFA World Cup because of me um, and, you know, couldn't give a toss about sports, but she's really, really given it a go and I think she's enjoying it. But, you know, she asked today, she was like, um, you know, with all these upsets going on, she was like, but what does it actually mean? Like, you know, yeah, okay, cool, 72nd in the world, beat out second in the world, but, like, what does that mean for the sport? What does that mean for these teams? Like, is it just a cool achievement? can you like talk about that? So like, what do you think? Like, why is everyone so shocked and amazed? Like, why is this such a big deal that these smaller teams are raising their own profile and going so far? Like, how do you see this playing out in the sport five, 10 years down the track? And we talk about the lasting legacy of this world cup for the younger generation, but what do you think these like upsets and these massive performances by these smaller teams are actually how are they going to develop the women's game? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And obviously, obviously the first thing is that it does build traction. 
and it does make people more interested in the game because everyone steps back and goes, oh, hang on a minute, I think there's less of a gap in women's football than once thought. And then on that as well, like, I've got no idea how this is going to affect the future, but what I would like to see, but I'm not sure if the resources are there yet, but you'd hope um, the teams like maybe Germany, uh, Brazil, England, those sorts of teams that maybe are like, oh, hang on a minute, maybe they go, oh, in the future for future tournaments, we actually need to play the likes of, I don't know, Haiti or Jamaica in some international friendlies, whether we meet halfway or go to them if they don't have the resources. So we actually are exposed to that Mm. rather than let's all play European football because it's right on our doorstep. We all get used to playing one another. We all play a similar way. Hang on a minute. Let's actually explore. And I think that will help the smaller countries out as well because obviously those games are likely to be televised because you've got the bigger teams with with the sponsorships so they need to be filmed and then all of a sudden because those games are televised you're gonna get more sponsors etc etc so i think and like that's just like commercialization of sport really Mm. um very like very brief nutshell and i'm no expert on it but i think i think what you will have is more teams wanting to play those teams more often and obviously that's going to be hard because it's a lack of resources like you just said it's not like the football ferns have so many um friendlies a year but there must be ways of being able to make that a bit more cost efficient for more people maybe it's and like we talk about the international window having actually these players loading and etc etc but um maybe it isn't i don't know an african women's league and more players want to start playing in that and then we have a bit more migration um between players and countries and where they wanted to play their football i don't know but it's crazy it's crazy Oh, and I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. Like, and you say you don't know. Like, there's all these options, but that's the whole point: is that there's these options now, and people are actively thinking about that and considering that, and saying, okay, what is the next step here? Prior to this tournament two weeks ago, no one was having those thoughts. No one was saying, oh shit, there is like, what about the African League? What about Christine? Like, you know, Christine Sinclair when they were knocked out, uh, the Canadian women's team, and one of her post-match interviews said you know, this is a huge wake-up call for our federation and it's a huge wake-up call and uh, for the fact that maybe we do need a professional Canadian league. Like, it's these doors that are now opening and these conversations that are now being had that wouldn't have existed two years ago because no one knew that this talent was so widespread across the world and there was just so much of it as well. Um and, you know, there were all these, we talk about yeah. the, like big names in the US and the big names in the England team. But now, as you say, there's Bunny Shaw, the Jamaican striker, you know, she, boom, that's a big name in Jamaica now. And Jamaica's always going to be on the map because of her. So it's, yeah, like you, yeah, I think you've said it perfectly. Like it's opening up all these other conversations that are just going to like explode the women's game globally rather than only in England or only in Spain or only in the US. It's just like diversifying that pool so much further. And even on a local level, like everyone, and I hope this continues, but every, I don't know what it's like where you are, but down here, um, actually I'm a bit gutted, but I'll tell you why I'm a bit gutted. Cause obviously we're on, we're on like this football, like fever down here at the moment. It's just great. Um, 
and talking to everyone, everyone's just all of a sudden become really interested in the A-League Women's League. Everyone's like, when does no. that start? We're like, we'll get on board with that, which is cool. So on a local level, I think we're going to see more people watching the women's game, which is exactly <laughs> what we want. Um, however, the All Blacks play in Dunedin tomorrow, <laughs> and then we've just they've just announced a women's rugby game. So it's like, damn it, like we've just been, I don't know, like washed by the New Zealand rugby culture. So yeah. it's about keeping that football fever up. But I think, I do think this the football fever is going to stay. And mm. like, hopefully um, this World Cup keeps that going. And by the time that finishes, the National League starting. And I think I think a lot of people tune into that because they're, they're hungry for more. So I think that's really good. And on a local level, that's what we wanted to see. And hopefully that continues. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's a big kudos to like our friends girls as well who have drummed up that support and like brought those emotions out of Kiwis you know I think while yes we always like we've we're saying like we didn't get the result that we wanted but and I think CJ Bot put it perfectly in her kind of post Instagram post post World Cup she said we didn't get what the outcome we wanted but we got so much more in such a different way something along those lines um and you know I think the emotions coming out of those girls were just so raw and real that people saw that and either related to it or just respected it and understood. And yeah, hopefully, as you say, that translates into the A-League where, you know, a lot of those younger girls are actually going to be featuring. You just said about the Ferns and how they inspired and everyone kind of felt those raw emotions. But like on my way walking, I was, so a lot of my um, uni friends aren't football related, which I think that's why we're like really close. Um <laughs> But but we were like all walking down to the game and I really enjoyed, like I was a proud football fan and yeah. I feel like in New Zealand there's not really that culture to, uh, I don't know, just let the football fan out. Yeah. But like walking out to the crowd, um, the stadium, you know, we were singing and like, yeah, it just, like I felt like football was properly cool and I don't <laughs> think you kind of get that unless you've, kind of been in football for a few years in New Zealand but it felt like uh, we'd hit the peak yeah no it's just uh it's such an exciting time and I'm this was the other thing I was going to talk to you about like seeing ads we've always talked about oh we're seeing so many ads around town and stuff for like the world cup and for the ferns and you know we're seeing our ferns girls on posters and stuff which like we've never seen before but something else I'm noticing is a step further and companies are using football as like a draw card. So they're trying to tie in some sort of football or World Cup thing into their marketing. And it's not necessarily to do with ferns or to promote the ferns or anything, but they're trying to capture the eye of football fans to then get them to look at their branding. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen football as a selling point in New Zealand. Like that's just rugby 100%. I don't think I've ever seen football as a selling point for brands to get drawn customers. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, and that's I, I wish I could um articulate it a bit better, but that's that's what I mean by football is like I, I it's always been cool to me, right? But but it seems to be cool for everyone else. Yeah. And it's probably the first time I've experienced that. And like you said, um, your flatmate who's maybe not into football wanted to get behind football. Um, I'm sure she loves you, Bella, but I don't think it is just because of <laughs> I don't it's the same with my mates. I don't think it's just because I'm so into it, they're trying to be into it. I think people were actually falling in love with it. Yeah. Um through the tournament. And that's that's just awesome to see really. And I think you're right. I think 
we as a country i think national league um is a really good chance to hopefully get people behind watching those youtube streams because how cool would it be um to kind of promote that a bit more get to know some of the national league players and promote that so then when the clubs then go to them, the club season we can get a few a few people who maybe you know i don't know sally down the road who kids moved out of town wants to go and support the local club join the committee you know like is that sort of flow and effect that you might not expect to happen oh, 100%. Um, yeah and like even though new zealand's been knocked out and i hope this like football fan fandom continues is New Zealand loves an underdog and that's why I'm almost so glad that there's there's been these upsets in the tournament because New Zealand will rally all day behind an underdog that's we love that shit we don't want the US winning we don't like yeah okay we'll take England winning because it's England but like we'll back an underdog all the way and now we've got so many underdogs that we can get behind fully and I hope that's going to continue this interest in the sport throughout the tournament because it's just something that New Zealanders, for some, well, it's our tall poppy syndrome shining, sh- shining so brightly. But it's something that we can grab and grab onto and hold onto it and hold it close to our heart. I think you've got that spot on. It's just, it just makes you want to watch every single game. You know, like you're like you don't know what could happen. You don't want to miss that key defining moment that could be the moment of the tournament. And yeah, everyone loves an underdog. I. <laughs> well, yeah. Talking of key defining moments, we've got USA versus Portugal, Portugal hitting the post, meaning USA drew with Portugal, got through to round of 16 by the skin of their teeth. And we talk about underdogs, we talk about upsets. This is underperformers because USA playing like absolute shambles and, you know, they won the last World Cup, should be playing, have, as, you, as we say, we've got all this fanfare around them. They're showing up in the Prada suits. They're rolling out the red carpet. They've got all the staff. And they're drawing nil all to Portugal and nil all to Netherlands. Just and playing shocking football as well. Like pretty shit football, to be honest. What's your predictions for the rest of their tournament, do you reckon? I yeah, I would have really liked of them to gone out last last round just purely because of the Netflix documentary. <laughs> um, but the only thing I will say with the United States, they know how to market bad performances, right? Because, like, they've, what, what are they dubbing it? They're like, we start now. I'm like, yeah. you should have started at the beginning of the group. Like, what kind of garbage is that? So I give them their due. They've marketed it well. And the way they've marketed it makes me feel like they, and I'm presuming they would have rallied everyone together and was like, okay, like, we actually do need to start now. So I think it could go two ways. I think we're either going to see them more of the same and they're going to be gone and, the Netflix documentary is going to just be awesome or or we're going to see a complete opposite USA and they're going to come out guns blazing and then win the thing and it's going to be like this like doc- probably a yeah. documentary I personally wouldn't watch it um <laughs> whereas <Yeah. laughs> well, speaking yeah. of you know getting them racked up um the all the drama between the team and ex-player Carly Lloyd so for some of the listeners who maybe don't know Carly Lloyd is probably the most successful women's football world cup player ever one of only two people or three people male or female um to score a hat trick in a world cup final like just an absolute legend of the game but also a pretty intense person I would say pretty she doesn't give you much um so 
yeah, very intense person, very intense player, but also very successful. And off the back of their shocking performance against Portugal, she kind of came out on television and said, this is not good enough. These players are not professionals right now. I, um, you know, they're distracted by all this other stuff outside of the, um, outside of the game and outside of the world cup. And, you know, I think, um, what was the quote she used? I'm going to find the exact quote. So I don't, so Carly Lloyd, she said, you're lucky to not be going home right now. And she said the player of the match was the goalpost. And that's pretty goddamn scathing for an ex-player to come out and say against her own teammates, a lot of whom she played with throughout her career. And, you know, that's kind of fired up. Like the coaches responded saying, I think it's insane to question the team's mentality. You've had the cat, one of the captains, Lindsay Harang, come out and say, I always want to defend my team. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Like, it's just all this external drama that's going on. And I, it's just, and I find it insane that, I don't know, I feel like you're on two sides. You either respect Carly for calling it how it is and kind of calling the girls out for not performing, or you are saying, Carly, mate, let them do their thing. Don't provide this external distraction. Like, let them cook, if you will, you know? Yeah, I am definitely on the latter. I'm more like, yes, you formally played for the team. Yes, you've paved the pathway. Yes, you like the players should respect you for that, but that you should respect the position that those players are then uh, in. And like, yes, call it out, but there's ways you could probably pull it, call it out that aren't so publicly on social media. And yeah. I, I personally think you're then creating more of a distraction. And you're actually, because we don't know what that team's going through behind the scenes. And then you're actually putting them under more pressure, not having the empathy. But that's just me. And I'm, as you know, I'm quite a direct person as it is. But I think there's definitely professional ways of going about things. And I don't, I personally just don't agree with that. Yeah. But that might be me. What's your thoughts on it? I don't know. I I mean, yeah, I think it's a real tough one because I think she's speaking nothing but the truth. But I just don't think it's the time or the place. Um, And yeah, there's already so much pressure on them. Like, what is this adding to the situation? But the thing I find really interesting is seeing, you know, that whole environment play out and that whole drama play out. And then you kind of compare that to the New Zealand, our New Zealand girls and our Ferns girls who in every post-match press conference and every post-match interview, they said, like every woman on that team said I'm doing this for the women that came before me and paved the way and I'm doing it for the women that are going to come after me and continue on this legacy and it's just so interesting to see that opposing dynamic of like whatever the hell is going on in that US team and then just like I don't know this beautiful kind of respect that our girls have for what this team means and what this team represents and I feel like they've really pushed that narrative this time around like this world cup and that yes it only happens every four years but I know it's just really refreshing to see some like sports people acknowledging that it's about more than themselves and their own success um yeah and it's I don't know it's just I'm really proud of our our team and our girls for saying that and taking taking that road I agree and I think that's been really good to see and it's been so apparent and I think that's the that's the last in culture that hopefully be passed down from one generation to another, to another, to another, rather than maybe what the USA have currently gone through, where it's like some players have set up this winning culture and it's now, 
it definitely it's definitely now becoming a bit more arrogant yeah. rather than confident. And I think that's where the tensions start to come between previous players who have tried to set up this legacy, as you'd call it. It's probably not the right word, or that that culture that they wanted that they're proud of and they want to promote to the youth, which the football fans have got it spot on. Can I just say? And now the USA team have kind of got that clash between we want to be superstars, yeah. rather than let's just let's just get the ball in the back of the net. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. no, as a it is. Yeah, oh, it's just the drama of the world cup it's so exciting there's so much football going on right now it's oh it's what dreams are made of but we're coming we're coming up to the end of the ep and we got to finish it off we got to go predictions from here on out who are we are we what are we thinking for let's go semi-finals finals or just finals what are you because we i mean we got it half right i reckon we got it half right last time but what are your thoughts okay i reckon spain will beat switzerland South Africa are going to beat Netherlands. Oof. I know. I know. I don't, I really like, like, I really like the Netherlands. Um, Jill Rawd's having a great tournament and they were playing some fancy football, but I'm just picking the underdog because why not? It's going to happen. Um, England, Nigeria scares me, um, but I'm going to just say England because, you know, positivity only manifest it. Um, we'll go to Jamaica. I obviously think Japan, Sweden, Australia, and I'll go France. Should I go top three? Spain, England. England will play Australia, right? Damn it. That's going to be if they go through. Okay, I'm just going to go England to win it. Spain, they're on the other side, eh? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go England-Spain final. Oof. I think Japan will do well, but I don't think they'll get to the final. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm still going to back Japan for the final. And, oh, God. I kind of, oh, I just, I want England to beat Australia. I'm just annoyed they're on the same side. Yeah. I think, I, I even though I hate to say it, I'd like to see Australia in the final, but I think England might just pip them. Um, but are England going to get past Nigeria? Yeah, I mean, they've got to step it up, man. They've got to really put in the work there. I'm going to go Japan... I'm going to go to Japan, England final. I'm not confident in that at all. That's actually the bottom half of the table that England, Nigeria, Colombia, Jamaica, Australia, Denmark, France, Morocco is going to play out so interesting. So then it comes down to which which team's going to peak at the exact right time, right? And on that note, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for jumping on again, mate. I, as always, love talking footy with you. And holy heck, we're in for an absolute huge week ahead of us. I can't wait. Um, I'm not going to get much sleep, I don't think, again this week. But that's okay. It's, it only happens every four years. So. Exactly. Exactly. You can justify it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, thank you again to the listeners for tuning in. I hope that was um, interesting. You learned, you know, learned a thing or two or, I don't know, maybe we'll spark up a conversation or two within your own within your own groups. But Tune in again next week. Jess and I will be here once again to talk all things World Cup. So, um, yeah, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again soon. Cheers.